This podcast is supported by CoinKite, the one-stop shop for everything you need to secure, use, and express your obsession for Bitcoin. The MK4, a new version of the hugely popular cold card hardware wallet, is out now with lots of new features for helping you to secure your Bitcoin. If you like to keep track of block time or keep track of the SATS USD exchange rate, the Block Clock Mini is the way to do it. And the gang at CoinKite have recently released the Tap Signer, which is an NFC-enabled card which holds a private key, allowing you to separate your keys from your wallets while still allowing for super easy transaction signing. To learn more about all their awesome gear and stay up to date on their new products, visit coinkite.com. Let's do it. Well, Ryan, um, first of all, thank you for doing this. I've, since, you know, we got in touch and you sent me some of the information about what you were doing, I went down the uh, small modular reactor rabbit hole the last couple of days. And, you know, I, I'm almost ashamed to admit, like I, didn't even realize that was a thing before you brought it to my attention. And it's super interesting. Uh, so I got a lot of questions for you today um, in relation to that. And of course, how it relates to Bitcoin and stuff like that. But before we get going, you know, whatever kind of introduction for yourself or your work you want to give, then go for it. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a great honor to be here. I love your work. I've, I haven't missed one of your podcasts and probably going on a year now since the first one I heard you talking with Tomer. Um, I'm pretty new to taking Bitcoin seriously myself. I had owned some since 2017-ish that I had cashed out of an online poker site and then just left it in a wallet and ignored it. And then uh, when the exciting bull run of early 2021 happened, I started to look into it a lot deeper when a few hundred dollars turned into a few thousand dollars, which was very excited. And I wanted to know what I was holding on to. And I had some earlier touch points from the past that I, I remember some of the content that I used to consume occasionally, I would encounter Max Kaiser and his uh, his uh, evangelizing about Bitcoin way back in the day. And then I just, I went on with my life and paid attention to various other things, went down Jordan Peterson rabbit hole over the last few years. Culture wars have been very interesting to pay attention to. Um, and, then yeah, so I went straight into Max's podcast, so that definitely helped skip over a lot of the bullshit that many people can get sucked into in the crypto space and jumped right into fully Bitcoin right from the get-go. I played around with trading for a little bit and then moved on from that quickly when I got burned a few times and, just, <laughs> and found, found a lot of the guys that were just like, just just hold it and for, forget about it, you'll be fine. Uh, so I kind of started sticking at that and then stuck to basic DC, DCA plan um, and then as for my career, I am a laboratory technologist and I work in the Canadian nuclear laboratory facility in Chalk River. Uh, my, my day job is basically I keep the machines operating that do uh, some very various work supporting safety and reactor research in regards to the can-do pressure tube corrosion uh, surveillance program. So that's important, that's a small cog in a very, very important small cog in a, in a big machine. And then, uh, so yeah, I wouldn't even have known about the SMRs myself had I not been in the nuclear industry myself. And that, that uh, our site here in Chalk River is slated to be one of the facilities that will be building one of the demonstration reactors, a small uh, five megawatt unit by a company called uh, Ultrasafe Nuclears. And they're 
they're planning to deploy that size of reactor to a lot of remote communities and, and off-grid applications in remote northern Canada, which will be hugely beneficial to those communities that have massive energy costs and have been dependent on very old diesel generators for some time. And then, uh, yeah, it was around it was around the time that I started learning about Bitcoin mining that I started going down that rabbit hole. I started listening to guys like Steve Barber and Adam O and all the other guys that are doing the uh, the methane flaring mining and various things like that. So I'm very excitedly was talking about my wife with this, who she's come a long way, but definitely did not go as deeply down the rabbit hole as myself. Um, but she's also been a great help and very supportive. And it was around the time that Elon Musk had turned his perception of Bitcoin when he started complaining about the energy usage that she just threw up the idea of one day offhandedly of just like, well, why don't we use the SMRs that we're planning to build to mine Bitcoin? And then I just like, I just stood there for a minute and then she was just went back to her book and reading whatever she was doing. And I'm just <laughs> like, yes, that, that is an amazing idea and we have to do that. And then, so I started digging into it just to see if there was any, like anybody pushing out any idea along those lines in the Bitcoin space. And sure enough, there wasn't. And most of the time, whenever I heard nuclear come up in regards to Bitcoin mining, there was kind of like a sadness almost because their perception was seeing how many like nuclear reactors throughout the United States and, and Europe that have been being shut down over the last few years. And they, there wasn't much hope and they were just focused on what they were doing with the, the gas flaring mitigation and wherever else they could find cheap power, like hydro, it's in isolated locations. And so I just, I got on Twitter around the 2021 conference and then just started pushing this idea out there. And then it was in July, this organization that I belong to called the North American Young Generation in Nuclear uh, put out this contest called Innovation for Nuclear, where they were looking for ideas that would boost nuclear's profile in regards to uh, achieving UN sustainability goals, which like, I know a lot of Bitcoiners are not the biggest fans of the um, UN and some of the stuff that they talk about. But on the face value, like the goals like no poverty, zero hunger, like, good health and well-being, quality education, affordable and clean energy, meaningful work and economic growth, like those are all good goals that anybody should with them would want to achieve. I just yeah, I saw an opportunity to uh, really push this idea into uh, into an avenue that it could really gain some traction. And then so we submitted, uh, I put together a team that included my wife, uh, another guy that I connected to uh, through Greg Foss, and then another uh, individual here at CNL that's close to the SMR program. And we submitted it, we won the first phase, and then the second phase and then we were slated to go and speak in the third phase at uh, an international nuclear conference in Sochi, Russia in May, but that kind of got kiboshed by what's going on in Ukraine. So as of right now, it has been rescheduled for the end of November in Koreama, Japan, which is gonna be another interesting opportunity to, to push this idea. And then in the meantime, I've been reaching out to various SMR vendors and just seeing what they think of the idea and trying to connect people that want to invest in this technology with the people that would could use some help with investment in this technology because it is very expensive to get these things off the ground. Right. 
Man, that's awesome. And a lot. So your wife works in the same field as you, like nuclear. She, yeah, she, she works, at, she works in same. Yeah. She works at the same facility, just in a completely different role. She's more uh, material planning and, and uh, logistics type of job. Like, just out of curiosity, like what is your educational background? Like how does one wind up working in the nuclear field? Uh, I'm a chemical technologist. I went to Cambrian College in Sudbury and I had a few jobs throughout Ontario, bounced around doing various process control and laboratory technologist jobs. And then uh, I was laid off in the 20, uh, beginning of 2013 and then just as uh, my unemployment insurance was running up, I got hired uh, here at CNL and I've been here for a little over eight years now. What's it like working in a field that's, well, so kind of, uh, well, poorly understood by the general public, I would assume, but also kind of uh, bleeding edge of the future in, in a sense, like what, what's it like working in, in that sort of capacity? Or if if that's not a proper characterization, then correct me. No, you get to see a lot of cool stuff going on. There is tons of research going on for in both the nuclear technology and peripheral technologies that can benefit from it. Like here on site, we've got uh, we're doing various energy storage research, uh, both heat and electrical, uh, hydrogen production type of stuff. That that will definitely be a huge get get a huge benefit from using nuclear power. Um, yeah, poorly understood is definitely an understatement. There's there's been a lot of bud in the nuclear industry over the last few years, and well, definitely uh, since 2012 was when Fukushima happened, I believe. So that that's been a sore spot in the industry. That it, it, uh, it lost a lot of momentum, but it does seem like a lot of that's coming back. Like just over the last like last few years, it's been growing. Uh, public sentiment has been switching from negative to positive all over the place and it I would have liked it not to have come at the expense of a massive energy crisis but uh, but here we are and people are starting to really take a second look at nuclear power and we have a lot a lot better advocacy out in the space like guys like uh, like Schellenberger uh, Mark Nelson Dr. Chris Kiefer what is that Isabel Bomaki uh, there's another one, uh, Zion Lights is a, a former Extinction Rebellion activist turned massive pro-nuclear advocate over in France. Like, there's there's a lot of really good advocacy going on in the space right now, and, and they, like they, these these people were a huge part in the in helping to change the decision to shut down Diablo Canyon that was just announced uh, a reversal just a like a few days ago. So that was very exciting in the industry that uh, that decision was made yeah what why because you know we see these headlines of nuclear reactor sites being shut down and typically it's associated or at least the impression is is that it's out of activist or environmental concerns of some kind but that you know some of them have been operating for so long i mean is that the reason or is it more economic because even though you know there's a lot of hoopla around uh, you know, green, renewable energy, all that kind of stuff these days. And, um, you know, t I think a lot of it lacks the proper nuance and lacks the proper grounding in economics and lacks also, you know, the proper political, you know, philosophy orientation, let's say. But 
if the if the economics were working and and it, you know people were I think people follow generally their incentives right even more so than public opinion and so it, is it true that the reason why you know these things are being decommissioned or there or more aren't being built is because of the, the perception or the efforts of you know the activists or the catastrophe catastrophe <laughs> catastrophist types over the last like few decades that certainly doesn't help but yeah uh, a lot of it is economics in in nature but the the fact that there has been a large anti-nuclear sentiment for the last little while that it, it makes it easier to justify the shutting down these reactors but the the economics of a nuclear reactor that has a solid base load sharing a grid where a lot more um, wind and solar and intermittent sources are coming online and then for a minute there natural gas was was dirt cheap so it was just it, it the competitiveness in the energy markets has not been the greatest as of late in regards to nuclear because uh, policy definitely favors the uh, the wind and solar types and, and ensures that they get the maximum economic benefit for their their generation re regardless of this the circumstances and then a lot of that that burden gets turned into economic liabilities on the nuclear generators who when when they with they want to be running just about full out all the time to maximize the economics of, of their generation but when they can't they either have to uh, curtail that electricity and they'll basically it'll just be in the form of just dumping steam without running it through the turbine or they will have to sell that electricity to or well not not sell or they will pay other jurisdictions to take that electricity from them in the case of, of Ontario a lot of surplus generation gets uh, gets sent into uh, New York and Vermont and then some northern states but like at a negative price which is a massive economic liability and then because right. Ontario is a regulated grid the generator still gets paid eight cents a kilowatt no matter what so those liabilities end up going on the ratepayers and taxpayers right which, um, is that your phone that keeps jingling a little bit? Can you put that on silent? Yeah, maybe probably. Um, Sound off. So yeah, so we're live. A bunch of people are now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, is it the case that, like, if there was just huge deregulation, you know, so all nobody paid any mind to all the activists and the the global warming and all those sort of types and oil and gas you know, was fully deregulated and there was fracking and all this kind of stuff with the economics of nuclear, at least for a certain use. And we'll, we'll get into the kind of the nuance of the SMRs later and how that the economics of that, you know, would probably be different, or at least the situations in which it would make sense would be different, would be different. But would the, would the economics of nuclear just kind of not work if we had, you know, way lower cost of traditional forms of energy? I Think it would probably end up being a lot better because it would just it would bring more competitiveness into the markets they would find ways to to leverage their assets in in a way that would maximize the economic benefits but right. yeah be, because everything's highly highly regulated it's just it, it creates weird weird disincentives totally what this is a probably a very difficult question to answer but like why is nuclear so expensive to build out like why why is it so yeah expensive what are the economics of it a lot of it has to do with the the, the licensing and 
safety regulations on these reactors. And then the fact that a lot of the supply chains and the, the manufacturer of reactors kind of got halted for a significant period of time. So that even now when we want to start rebuilding them, like it almost, it's almost like starting over from scratch rather than having a well oiled, like robust uh, machine that can just pump these things out. Like back in the seventies, the these things were coming up everywhere, like at a rapid pace, like France built a dozen reactors in just a few years. The United States had built a pile of reactors in a few years. Japan built all their reactors in only a few years. And over time, like as after like accidents like Chernobyl, like there was a, a large increase in safety regulations, which adds a lot of cost. But but there is the benefit of proving that like they're they're safe and reliable. And a lot of the the lessons learned from those incidents have been, have been applied in such a way that they incidents like that will be pretty much impossible to happen again. Right. But it's but at great cost of of making sure that they're that in the public eye that everything is set and there's no issue and and then for nuclear be, everything has to be accounted for basically from cradle to grave before a project can even be greenlit so that's, that, how many reactors are there in canada there's the the bruce reactor it has eight units darlington i think has four pickering has four or maybe six no they have eight um then there's a unit out in new brunswick at point la pro that has i think four reactors i'm probably not 100 on these numbers and then there's two reactors in quebec that were shut down about a decade ago that at the gentilly site and that is kind of ironic because our current environment minister was one of the head cheerleaders for shutting down those reactors instead of refurbishing them. Whereas Point La Pro went through a refurbishment program about 10 years ago. So they'll get like another 30, 40 years of life out of those reactors. Uh, the Bruce reactor and the Darlington reactors are currently ongoing uh, refurbishment programs. So that'll extend their life into the 60s and 70s. And then Pickering at the moment, they're there's a plan on the table for refurbishment, but when the Ontario Liberal government was in place, they had shut that down. And so at the moment, it's slated to be shut down by 2025. But there's a lot of those same activists that were instrumental in keeping Diablo Canyon operational are starting to focus their efforts more towards uh, keeping Pickering online because that will, like the, the nuclear generation in Ontario was a massive reason why Ontario was able to eliminate uh, coal from their grid. But, but if we go in the reverse direction, we'll have to increase massively increase our, our natural grass, gas output. Which <laughs> so why, why are the environmentalists trying to shut it down if that's going to be the result? Well, I don't think Pickering, I think is more economics. I don't, I see. But just just the activists just in general, like there's just this cohort of activists that just do not like nuclear. They they have a lot of ignorant takes about it, about how like I don't know, I've I've heard takes where they, they liken uh like a nuclear accident like Chernobyl to like what would happen at if a neutron bomb went off, which it's not even close because that was that was a steam explosion that, that carried radioactive particles, but it was not a nuclear explosion like you would get from a nuclear bomb but it seems that they like to conflate the two and that ends up scaring public and policymakers that they can influence and 
and they're they are not big fans of of the fact that nuclear waste exists even though like there's been no incidents related to nuclear waste ever in the existence of, of the industry it's safely stored in, in lead casks mostly on site of these reactors there's a future plans to build deep geological repositories that will be able to store it in underground caverns in such a way that that if we want to reaccess it we will be able to because some of the new reactor designs will be able to reprocess that and and then and then push it um, push it further and get a lot more use out of it so that it will uh, the byproducts from that will for the most part be inert salts and it will dramatically reduce the the size and output of of nuclear waste byproducts that need to be stored. And even just in general, like the density of uranium and nuclear fuel is so high that the, the, the uh, yeah, the, the analogy that people use is ba basically you could store it on a few football fields, about two telephone, yeah, like one, one football field, about two telephone poles high would store like the entirety of the nuclear waste byproducts in North America. Right. So it's it's not that difficult to manage. As is so often the case, you know, the public just seems to have such a narrow view or understanding of these things, you know, and then, of course, public opinion does, unfortunately, in many cases matter. So whether it's nuclear or whether it's Bitcoin or I'm sure a million other issues, um, we suffer from a lack of education, I guess. And the, the environment minister you're mentioning, is that that Gilbo guy? I'm not sure. I'm probably yeah. butchering his name. Man, he creeps yeah, me out. He, he's such yeah. a fucking, he seems like an extremist and a weirdo and a Trudeau lackey and all the things that are just deplorable generally, basically. Yeah, there's there's a lot of weirdness about the Trudeau cabinet. That's just, but, yeah. but then on the other flip side, like the minister of labor, um, Seamus Seamus O'Regan, he's a big yeah. fan of nuclear because like that's like massive union support, like large large labor resources. So, so it's it's very conflicting what's going on in there in that cabinet. But right, I don't All try right. to understand it. No, me neither. Um, is most of the nuclear around the world and or in Canada um, fully government funded, government subsidized, joint venture with private? Like, what's typically the makeup there? It's a mixed bag. Like, um, like, it does require a lot of a lot of public support, but for the most part, they're public-private partnerships in very to various degrees. Right. Okay. So the S. Tell me about you know the SMRs because I for for a couple of reasons this seems more intriguing. One, they're way smaller, which means way less cost, which means way more people can be competing to innovate and build out different iterations and and stuff, which means way more market dynamics get introduced to it, which means way more, pro, uh, you know, improvement and competitiveness and real world use cases and all that kind of stuff. So for, for that reason alone, that segment of the nuclear power, uh, you know, industry is very, very compelling and industry uh, in interesting to me. And then like, as I said, after you introduced me to it and I went down the rabbit hole of watching, you know, all the videos and looking at the, the different companies in the space is just, it seems really cool and really promising. The costs still seem to be extremely high associated with these things. And your report kind of elucidated that as well. But uh, I don't know, tell, give me your take on SMRs and why it's interesting to you and the state of the industry and all that. 
Well, it's very exciting. And as you mentioned, it's because it, it, it does open up a diverse range of deployment scenarios because the, the small size of the reactors and the fact that the main components will be built in a centralized facility. Uh, in Canada, I expect most of that will be done in like the Hamilton, Cambridge area because they do a lot of the uh, material manufacturing that supports the, uh, the Bruce and the Darlington reactors. Um, so what, and but yeah, getting those facilities up and running is going to be a large capital expenditure. That, but once that's overcome, and that the, all, all the engineering and the tooling is done and then the, the labor force is in place, then the momentum will begin and these reactors will, the, will become a lot more affordable and be able to be built and distributed a lot quicker. Like the, the intention is that the designs that are going to be chosen are going to be ones that will be easy to, to stand up in under most circumstances within within five years for, for the larger end of the small modular reactors, which is about 300 megawatts. And then some of the smaller ones in like the, the one to, to 50 megawatt range, like some of those will be able to be built within like six months to, to two years because the major wow. components will be built in a central facility and then they'll be designed in such a way that they can easily be transported by standard shipping means, like in just your standard uh, transport freight containers or, or cargo freighters uh, in various means. So they'll they'll need to prepare this, be able to prepare the site in advance wherever they're going to be deployed, and then then they'll be able to bring in the guts of, of the core reactor components and the turbines from wherever the, the manufacturing facility is, and then that will only take take yeah a barely a year two years to to stand them up, and then they'll be operational. But then after that, then you need your transmission infrastructure, which is then part of part of the reason that I. I'm pushing the Bitcoin ideas because that you can couple them together with a market that will be right there and ready to monetize that electricity as soon as they are deployed without. And then as the transmission infrastructure gets built out and more people get connected to it, the nature of Bitcoin mining, you can just, you can peel off miners and redeploy them elsewhere, or you can add more, uh, you can add more uh, reactor modules in various degrees. So it's, it's going to be a very, very interesting future for these technologies. And there's so Canada, from what I believe, is planning on choosing six designs, two from each kind of like range from the very small to the to the medium to the to the larger small reactors. So, so it'll be from like the one to fifty, and then the the fifty to one fifty, and then the like the two hundred to three hundred range. There'll be probably two chosen from each of those categories, and then for for various applications like to for on grid, but not not large. In conjunction with communities, but it doesn't need to be like near large um, population centers, like the ones that support Toronto and the GTA area that have a substantial electricity demand. It'll they'll be able to do be deployed more to like uh, communities like like Timmins and Moose Jaw that that'll that have a large demand, but not enough to justify building like gigawatts. And then the smaller ones will be designed so that they can go out to remote communities, and they'll be able to basically just replace a lot of uh, diesel generation for for communities and then also for uh, very remote off-grid uh, like mineral mining operations mm. and, and then one of the other interests is to convert a lot of the oil sands energy infrastructure to use SMRs instead of using natural gas and, and oil and then they also want to use them for the uranium mines that exist like up in northern Saskatchewan and they by by mining uranium with 
uranium fueled reactors will definitely will it'll 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 greatly improve the entire uh, supply chain and then it'll also it also move Canada further towards the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from a lot of our electrical generation. And then another cool thing about these reactors is some of them are going to be using um, like high temperature reactors so that that process heat can also be used. If, if electricity isn't needed, the heat can be used for various industrial processes or even like district heating or greenhouses. And like we can vary other. And basically anything needs heat or um, like high quality steam for their operations. Like there's a lot of uh, chemical production operations that require steam to, uh, to perform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll definitely break into the, the Bitcoin mining aspect of this in a moment. But on, a, on like a megawatt to megawatt, like all in cost basis, you know, from hydro, from natural gas, from a small modular reactor, I presume the latter is way more expensive right now. And the challenge is to, well, one, so an SMR would work in a place where there is no energy access and no energy infrastructure. And for whatever reason, people are there or want to be there, you know, because it's mobile energy effectively. And so, and it's mobile, consistent, reliable, you know, baseload energy, let's say. And that, that obviously has, you could conceive of many applications where that would be um, necessary or useful. But in places where there is some form of energy infrastructure or energy generation, presumably SMR capacity right now, because it's basically in its infancy, would not be the economic choice. And the, the task is, I, sh I say task, but I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion we let the market figure out what the most economical and densest form of en energies are and let, let it sort it out. And so... I'm not trying to impose, you know, quick adoption of SMRs on the world, but my sense is that the technology represents accessing a denser form of energy that's more mobile, that's more versatile. And as a result, over time, the market most likely will choose it. But at the moment, do you, like, do you have a sense for the comparison between getting a megawatt from these these various sources? Yeah, like it's not going to be able to to compete with like established like hydroelectric uh, assets that already exist. Um, it, it's definitely going to compete with a lot of uh, like like wind and solar infrastructure in various locations where where it doesn't make sense that because like, especially like in northern Canada, like solar isn't even worth trying in many instances. Like right. some places you can get away with with wind, but for the most part these places, these communities are, if you're not hydro, they are running off of diesel generators. And the, the cost to ship diesel to remote communities puts them like uh, pre-subsidy, some of these places like as much as like 90 cents to to a dollar kilowatt hour, which is quite substantial. Um, so, so those are the primary targets for these smaller reactors. But then, like you said, like as as we build more, the cost will drive down. Like in, it, it will be able to improve the uh, construction schedules. Uh, the designs will be significantly simplified and take advantage of. Whereas the conventional reactors take advantage of uh, economics of scale, these guys will take advantage of economics of multiples. So as 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 we build multiple reactors, then the there'll be like learning. With each with each iteration and more repeat construction, so they'll they'll be faster to build, and and then the expertise will develop, and then that will drive the cost down. Like the expectation is, is that at the moment we're looking at like forty dollars per forty fifty dollars per 
per megawatt to like build these things, but then or 40, 50 million dollars per megawatt for the initial capex, but then roughly like a quarter to a fifth of that once we get to the nth of a kind designs where we really really honed in on the, the whole uh, manufacturing process and, and driven down those costs as much as possible. I, I noticed that there was like multiple approaches being developed for these SMRs, not just in, in um, how much power that they can generate, but also apparently there's a variety of different ways you can, uh, you know, the, the architecture or the engineering behind them can be different, like different approaches uh, to getting power from them. So, and of course, like the degree to which regulations in, inhibit the ability for the market to figure out which are the most efficient, which are the most cost effective, which are the, you know, the best, uh, will slow down that process. But what is your sense in, in all the different options that are emerging and how quickly it's being kind of sussed out, which are rising to the top, or if it's too, too soon to determine that? Uh, we won't really have a good idea until we've built some demonstration models, which we're expecting the first ones to start coming online around 27, 28, and we're going to take advantage of all of the existing uh, licensed nuclear facilities in Canada to build these these models. So as far as I know, there's six or seven that are already proposed for demonstration. There's, there's the one that I'd mentioned for CNL. Uh, there's the, the Moltex reactor is going to be built at the Point Lepro site. Uh, and uh, yeah, so then there are different types. The one at CNL is going to be a high temperature gas reactor. The, the Moltex one is going to be a, a stable salt reactor. New Scale is proposed to build one at Pickering, and that's going to be a pressurized water reactor. Uh, G. Hitachi is proposing a 300 megawatt boiled water reactor at the Darlington site. Uh, Terrestrial Energy is proposing a 200 megawatt molten salt reactor. X Energy has uh, a small 8 megawatt high temperature gas reactor. Uh, StarCore has a 10 megawatt high temperature gas reactor. Westinghouse has a 25 megawatt solid core reactor. So it's it's really kind of a chicken and egg thing where like once once we start demonstrating them, we'll have a better idea, but then also we won't be able to fully reconfigure the regulatory environment to account for the, the new types of reactors until they're seen in action and, and, and proven what they're claimed to be able to accomplish. So, mm. so there's, there's, there's great effort to get those, those regulations updated and, and modernized so that we can uh, get this process going a little bit quicker, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a slog going through the licensing sure. process. Yeah, so sounds like it. Is, is your impression that this form of energy, if it were, if market dynamics were able to kind of, you know, maximally determine or if, if it was able to avail of market dy dynamics, would this become, you know, dominant source of energy over time for most places? Because, you know, if we're getting all these different approaches and engineering and competition is a massive component of it, do you think like this form of energy bec will become the cheapest, most reliable, most broadly available and, and versatile form of energy, you know, for humanity, basically? I think long-term, this is the way to go. Until we have properly accomplished fusion, that yeah, pushing fission and investing it in it as much as possible to, to make it as, as uh, affordable as possible and widely distributed as possible, that that is going, there, 
to be the dominant energy source for the foreseeable future is we have we have more uranium available than we know what to do with like it's like if we properly exploited how much uranium we have like it would be the, the cost of fuel would be almost nothing like there's there are so many deposits all around the world that we can take advantage of like canada Canada only had, takes advantage of, of a few major deposits up in like northern Saskatchewan, but from what I understand, there's there's a lot more getting up further into the like the northern territories, and then there's there's places all throughout Africa, there's places all throughout South America that that haven't taken advantage. Like Australia has massive uh, uranium deposits that they could take advantage of. And then there's the ones like Russia has some, Kazakhstan. There's there's a lot, and then on top of that. We, we will be able to use a lot of the byproducts from these reactors as fuel for certain other reactors that will, that will be able to to use like the, the plutonium and other uh, actinides that are come out as byproducts that also can be used to uh, create fission reactions. So right. And, and I think, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I think like this, this is going to be huge. It's very much going to be a, a gradually then suddenly type of transition. But once, once we start getting momentum, it's going to get very, very exciting. And, and so fission breaking apart the, the atom, right. And fusion smashing them together. Is that the correct characterization? Yeah, pretty much. That is the simplest way to put it. And, and the latter would would provide generate more energy more heat more capacity is that the hope yeah in theory yeah fusion once once it's able to be contained in a sustainable way will be able to provide create a lot of electricity in in a very small footprint but it's we're we're still decades away from that being feasible as far as i understand like there's there's a lot of experiment going on and playing around with the various various ideas uh like the the tokamak reactor that smashes hydrogen together they i think it was just like a year or two ago they finally announced that they were able to generate more electricity and energy than it took to 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 get the reaction to start but once once they can get it to the point where it can be self-sustaining then then we're going to start to see some real action in there but but it it's very difficult to contain from what i understand it requires like really strong magnetic fields because the the heat that comes off of it it's uh hard to contain with with standard materials that uh, that we have access to so, but, I, but I, there's there's promise there yeah these are two kind of far out questions but they just popped up so why not ask them but the first is have developments in artificial intelligence or machine learning um accelerated or impacted you know the science or the study or the development of nuclear technologies in any way that you're aware of not that I'm aware of, but I don't see why it wouldn't help with like modeling and, and engineering type of uh, problems once right. it can be applied to that sort of thing. Um, and I've heard a couple mentions and some of the stuff I was looking at um, over the last couple of days referred to like thorium reactors. And can you just, do you know anything about that? And if so, what's the distinction between like an SMR and a, and a thorium reactor? Well, some of the SMRs, uh, they may be able to use thorium as their fuel, but it's just it's just a different fuel type. It, um, but from what I understand, it require it it requires a significantly different processing uh, apparatus in order to 
get the thorium to a state where it can be used as nuclear fuel. Right. The uranium uranium is a lot more straightforward in, in preparing it for, for use in fuel, especially in like the can-do reactors that don't need highly enriched uranium in order to uh, to generate a fission reaction. Right. All right. So let's let's dive into the exciting component of this for for Bitcoiners and as it relates to your work. So you're basically you've been making the case in the uh, proposals and competition or that you referred to that integrating Bitcoin mining with these SMR reactors is an amazing way to generate uh, demand on day one while infrastructure is being built out. And as a result of that, you know, as I think we're all familiar with now, you, you good? Yeah, I was just getting my papers together and uh, okay. stuff, um, stuff that I've written. Um, and that helps, you know, uh, reduce the time to pay off and it makes it more economical and it can it's a highly variable load so as demand as market demand picks up you can scale back bitcoin mining or you can scale up bitcoin mining if bitcoin mining is, is exceedingly profitable for a period of time all that kind of stuff so you know why don't you hit me with uh, the way you've been thinking about it and how you've been communicating it to people that i'm sure have no idea about any of this you know bitcoin stuff yeah. Yeah, the way, way that I'm proposing it to people within the nuclear industry is that it is just a completely new market that they can sell electricity to that is 100% independent from local grids. And, and it'll be a significant way that they can it completely eliminate the concept of demand risk, because that is one of the major liabilities of deploying a nuclear reactor is if you aren't certain that you're going to have demand where you're building, you're not going to be able to sell all of your product, which then just completely destroys the economic case for building them in the first place. And then so none of this stuff never ends up getting built because it's just not feasible. So if you can have 100% confidence that you will be able to sell 100% of your generation capacity to somebody, regardless of whether it's to a local grid, a local industry, or just to the Bitcoin mining network, that will significantly improve the return on investment of building these reactors. And that will drive down the timeline of, of starting to generate revenue. Um, and it was one of the biggest things about the, the massive upfront capex of building nuclear reactors is that uh, interest starts to add up very quickly when you're, we're talking hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. So like in, in some cases, just uh, to use the, the Hinkley Point C reactor in the UK, for example, they, the cost of building that reactor, I saw, I saw a chart the other day that showed that about 60% of the cost of that reactor is just paying off the interest on the capital required to build the thing. So wow. if we can significantly improve the timeline to recoup that investment, that will just drive down the interest alone. And then we start getting in, into generating revenue. And then, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to sell it to them as uh, on the demand response front, because paying attention to a lot of the stuff that's going on in, uh, in Texas with, with guys like Sean Connell and, and Lancium and how they're developing software that can follow the grid in real time because they're playing around with a lot of intermittent sources. So that's very important for them to have that those capabilities. Like a nuclear reactor to maximize your profit, you want to stay on full time. So if you have a, a something controllable on the demand side that you can basically operate like a dimmer switch that will follow your real time grid fluctuations, they will be able to 
be much more profitable, much more economically competitive. And then that can justify the deployment of, of bigger and bolder strategies for how we want to build these reactors. Because like in, in the current proposals that I'm seeing of how they want to build these reactors, they're, they're like looking at a community that uses say two megawatts and they're like, okay, we'll just, we'll build them a five megawatt reactor and, and then that should be good. And we'll, we'll maybe like put in a desalination plant and, and, and like a hydrogen production plant. And, and that, that should manage that, that capacity just fine. But then what I'm seeing with what we can do with Bitcoin mining is we can just build them 20 megawatts right off the bat and then just fill that entire gap with ASICs. And then that gives the community a massive reliable energy source. You'll also be able to have multiple modules of reactors. So if there's ever an instance where, where one has to be shut down for repairs or for any other reason, you will have three backup reactors that would be able to pick up the slack. And instead of the community suffering from losing that capacity, you just take it away from the ASICs and and then you can just keep keep running like with no issue. So mm. it's it's got a lot of a lot of potential to, to do all kinds of crazy stuff. I guess one of the, I mean with any power generation project, the, the the one of the challenges is always trying to build out for demand so that the supply that you're generating can most closely meet the demand that you both are trying to serve now and expect to serve in the future. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of assumptions wrapped up in that and that can make or break you if, if you don't do that calculation properly, I, I imagine. And it's just, it's, it's so fascinating that uh, now, I mean, you have to do that because the different sources of demand uh, pay different rates, you know, so you, it's not like you can abdicate that responsibility entirely, but just the notion that like, you know, that no matter what, like even if you're off on those calculations or assumptions to some degree, you're always going to have demand for your supply at some price. And that, I mean, that just seems revelatory in a certain sense to, I'm sure a lot of Bitcoiners, what, to the people that you've, the people on the economic side of SMRs, you know, who think about these things like financing and the economics of it, not just the scientists. Um, what has been their response to your explaining this to them? I, I'm very much working on cracking that nut. There's, <laughs> there's, because it, it's it's such a new nascent technology, and and a lot of them, what they hear about it, like they hear in the mainstream media takes. I'm, I'm sure many of them have, have heard the, the claims from guys like Digiconomist and various other FUD uh, spreaders. Um, the yeah, so they they see it. It, yeah, they they see the mainstream narrative, and that that is a tough nut to crack in many instances. But then once you once you start getting them down that that road of just like it's just a market to sell electricity to, it really shouldn't matter what the product is if there is a demand for that electricity, then that's that's an opportunity for us to to make more economic value from the product that we're trying to sell. Like I'm, I am actively trying to to convince some of the people like uh, here at CNL uh, they're, we're developing hybrid hybrid energy systems optimization models so it's just a complex mathematical models where you can input the various uh, generation sources and you can and then compare it to like uh, like a few like demand profiles from random random communities and you can see you can see the seasonal fluctuations you can see the, the like the day night fluctuations in, in the energy demand. And so they're trying to 
develop mathematical models to optimize like what is the best mix of your generation sources, whether you want to put in wind and or and have a natural gas plant and then some batteries and then maybe a small nuclear plant, like and just playing around with, with different scenarios like that. So mm. all I'm trying to do with them is just say, here, here's an extra variable. Now your surplus generation is worth at minimum four cents a kilowatt hour, even if you're just using S nines and just see what happens and just everything that it fits between what your your generation is and what whether what doesn't matter if your local demand is just going like bouncing up and down from day to day like we can fill that entire gap and just what what do your new economic profiles look like if we just add in that one little variable and see what happens mm. so that's 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 an ongoing process right now like the the like, I think it's like the third generation iteration of those models are are being established right now. So I'm I'm in communications with with the people that are doing that work, and I'm looking forward to see what what the results are because I I'm I'm confident that they're going to see some very very positive results that will give them no doubt in their mind that this is something worth pursuing. Yeah, totally. Um, when you mentioned that you know they've kind of. Uh... Their perspective is is shaped by the FUD, the paid shills, and the fudsters out there. But um, you know what? As you said, I mean, it's just it's just a buyer for power, right? Does it make any difference if it's you know the kid in Toronto who's paying fourteen cents a kilowatt hour to play his PlayStation, or the ASIC who's paying four cents a kilowatt hour or whatever it is to to do their you know to run their computer? Uh, what what's the difference um so what is it what about bitcoin fud uh, are they finding to be a stumbling block a stumbling block of some kind uh, i think a lot of them just just think it's just like bad optics because on like political side and, and they just they just a, just a lot of misunderstanding from like the, the few people that i've talked to is just they just a general statement they're just like oh cooperating with 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 crypto would would be bad optics and then I immediately have to be like not crypto Bitcoin. <laughs> I always have to make sure to make that distinction clear like we don't care about crypto that does proof of stake like like fine we, we, well we're more focused on proof of work proof of work is is the holy grail here for this industry and i, I don't care if you want to mine dogecoin or litecoin it's like proof of work is what we're after and that primarily is bitcoin as, as far as I'm concerned, the other ones are just sideshows. But, but yeah, I, I, I it, it, it's a, it's very interesting conversations trying trying to go from from zero to hundred and trying to explain it with with an elevator pitch because like like I'm sure you know like you like there's so much involved and, and mm. it takes like hours and hours of, of research and, and learning and listening to podcasts to to just to just have like even the simplest of compact con concepts in bitcoin just finally like click and then you're just like oh i i understand the difficulty adjustment now i'm like holy shit that, that's like <laughs> revolutionary and it's like it just turns it just turns it into like just mass like the game theory is just so amazing it's just as long as there is a margin between how much people are willing to pay for bitcoin and how much like how much it costs for you to generate bitcoin based on the cost of your electricity like there's going to be a massive race it's 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 a gold rush as far as I'm concerned. And, and when you're in an industry like nuclear, where you're generating surplus electricity that basically has zero 
dollar value on it or sometimes even less than that like it's it's nothing but pure revenue it turns a liability into a revenue stream like that's that's revolutionary as far as i'm concerned for the economics of, of base load generation yeah so totally I'm, totally agree go ahead yeah i'm just I, i'm just i i can get very excitable and it just it, it can, be, <laughs> can can sometimes be off-putting to, to people because it's like like this, this guy sounds crazy like this and then it sounds too good to be true but then once you slowly each each reiteration of, of coming around to it a little bit more sinks in and then and then it then it clicks with them but like clearly there's there's an interest there in the nuclear industry otherwise we would not have won this competition and be on our way to present at an international nuclear forum which is very exciting to yeah well i want to ask you about that but at, at a minimum you know again may, whatever they think about bitcoin they must at least be intrigued by the notion that they there can be a source of constant demand no matter what from day one without infrastructure i assume that like if like at that at a minimum they must be like wow that's novel because nothing else provides that opportunity right now they may still reject it because they're like oh crypto's for bad guys and i don't want to be involved but it like do you get some reactions where people are like oh shit really like is that actually a thing oh yeah it, it is very exciting to see to see the light bulb click when when it finally hits home that just like yeah this this is something that's going to change the way that we build and, and deploy reactors because it's it's been a very tough slog over the last decade or so to to get nuclear going again after, yeah after what, what happened in japan mm. and what kind of um you you mentioned this in in one of the reports you sent me but to what degree could integrating bitcoin mining into these various smrs accelerate their you know time to pay off or roi or like how much can it improve the economics now i know it's not an exact thing because the price of bitcoin has an effect on it and the competition amongst miners and the cost of hash and all that kind of stuff but surely like what what are your thoughts in terms of we we have this thing that is nuclear power generation now in smr form still very expensive we need as much competition from the market to come to this space to help reduce the cost to that and make it more available and versatile etc how much of an impact do you think bitcoin mining could have on that process yeah from what i understand like the the current estimates for return on investment for for building a lot of these facilities would is in the like 25 year ballpark but I, i'm pretty confident if we attach bitcoin mining to it we could probably drop that down to 15 or less and like if bitcoin does what we are anticipating it to do then hell that might even drop even lower like we could be making a lot more profit off of these things if, if uh, like I heard Foss saying, like two million by late late twenties was is something that would not be even inconceivable. So like if that were to happen, like that's going to drive a massive gold rush. And then it'll, and then if people start seeing this in action, then it will it will drive more demand for more people to get want to get in on this action. Like I've, mm -hmm. I've been talking to. I've been talking to uh, an investor that, that is looking into developing this technology in El Salvador. Like he really wants to get in on that. So that that's very exciting. And and then, um, so you're probably you're probably aware of that that meeting that Bekele hosted. Uh, like what was it like forty or twenty or something officials from other countries, and mm. to to show them what he's got going on. Like, 
at least a quarter of those are, are also courting the idea of developing nuclear infrastructure. So there's there's a very interesting cross section of uh, of countries that are interested in both technologies. So if we start putting them together more and, and getting people to see that this is a very real possibility that we can we can uh, develop this quickly and affordably. It's it's going to be a game changer for a lot of people that have been uh, quite underserved by by the global markets and for generations. Yeah. I mean, if Bitcoin reaches or when it reaches those type of highs, depending on how, you know, quickly or rapidly it does so, you won't have to be convincing people. I mean, there's just going to be an insane rush for energy and power all over the world in whatever form you can, you can get, I would assume. And uh, so, you know, that will probably accelerate things as well, should it come to pass. But uh, if the typical payoff for an SMR is something like, I think you said 27 years, what's their life uh, span? Like how long can they operate? I understand that every so often you have to change out the fuel or, or uh, you know, do some repairs or something like that. But, you know, that's a long ass uh, payoff, right? And so only people with deep pockets and good financing and perhaps in the initial stages, governments might be able to bear the something a low like time that. preference yeah, yeah very, very low time preference thank you yeah. yeah uh most of these reactors are expected to have like minimum 40-year life cycles and then they with if they're if they're maintained well like like older cars like you can keep them going for significantly longer like we're expecting like the, the bruce and darlington reactors were built decades ago and we're expecting to keep them going for decades more with the with the current refurbishment programs going on right now right it's just a it's, and if they're if they're modular, could you just keep like swapping out modules and keep it going indefinitely, or is there something that would inhibit that? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see any reason why why we couldn't because or you can just add a new module as you're decommissioning an old module. If right. That were the, were the case, like depends on the condition and, and the state of of the asset, but it's it's not inconceivable that we can we can do things like that. Right. It's, Tell, go ahead. No, I, I, that's it. <laughs> Tell me about, um, the competition, you know, because I'm sure this was perceived to be a unique approach. And as you know, as we know, most people don't have a great understanding of Bitcoin and lots of misunderstandings and that kind of jazz. What was it like presenting this to, I guess, both private and public officials and people and the questions that you received and ultimately you won two of them and you're going on to a third. So that's very encouraging. Some people must be seeing that this is at least novel if they don't fully understand it or appreciate it yet. Yeah. Uh, like the first phase was just, we put together a short video and like a little five page paper and just submitted that and just threw it out into the ether and then wait for the response to come back. There wasn't really any questions or anything related to it. And then we just, they were told that, yeah, you, you made it through, you're on to the second phase. And then this, then the second one, we did a live presentation to like basically a panel of, of judges. And then, and then there were other judges that, that judged it after the fact. Um, but some of the questions that were asked were just like, how, how, how do we go about doing this? And like, what, what kind of timelines are we looking at? And like, like the things that I, I responded to with that is like, in, in the meantime, it would be great to develop uh, domestic like semiconductor manufacturing infrastructure and, and get uh, more more silicon production and then like kind of pull that away from 
from where it is right now, predominantly in China and Asian countries, and, and bring as much of that domestically as we possibly can, because this is if this does get as highly competitive as we anticipate it to, it will be a massive benefit to have it all in-house. Like we we already like in Canada, we already have ninety percent of the nuclear supply chain we can do domestically. Wow. Um, but I see no reason why we couldn't bring in bring in Bitcoin mining, building, building ASICs, building semiconductors. Like we have, we have the skill set. we have the people, like we can do it. We just need the, mostly the political will and more people with deep pockets and long time horizons. And then uh, as far, as far as like when we can do it, like as, as soon as the assets are available to plug into, like the Bitcoin miners exist and they are ready and waiting. Anybody in the Bitcoin space that I talk to, they are incredibly eager to start plugging into nuclear power. Like the only, the only current uh, instances that I'm aware of right now are um, with the, the Compass Mining and the Oklo pair up that they want to help uh, Oklo uh, deploy their small modular reactor. And then there's another one in Pennsylvania with Talon Energy is building a large like, multi hundred megawatt data center that's going to have a lot, be heavy on the Bitcoin mining with the, uh, the Susquehanna reactor that they have there in, in that area. So that's, that's, that's that, very exciting. But is that TerraWolf? Is that the name of the company? Yeah. Yeah. TerraWolf is, is the one. Yeah. So I've, I've been, I've been speaking with one of their, uh, one of, one of, one of the guys that works with them very, very interested in, in, in discussing SMRs and then how, how that can be applied to what they're up to. And then there, there is another project that, that I'm aware of that's, it's courting the the uh, what is it first power or en energy harbor in Ohio. There's there's discussions right now with them on how to build Bitcoin mines to uh, to help boost the economics of the the two reactors that they have in Ohio that have been struggling economically as to compete with the well what was cheap natural gas and also a lot of uh, intermittent sources coming in online on the grid that they share. So there's there's definitely interest, but it's 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 very slow going, and I'm mm -hmm. hoping like I'm just I just I keep cheerleading, hoping to push more ideas out into the out in there, and I'm trying to get trying to get as many people on the hook from uh, these various SMR vendors to to pay attention to this idea that they can very much take advantage of. Yeah, I mean they should all be considered because economic considerations are, are I'm sure are one of the biggest considerations for a lot of them and. This should definitely be a part of their calculations. I, I hadn't heard about TerraWolf until the last couple of days uh, getting ready for this. And like, it seems, well, I mean, it seems like they have, you know, over a hundred megawatts plugged in right now, I think. I, I'm not sure if that's a hundred percent accurate, but as you say, they are trying to work with uh, nuclear power generators to, and they're, you know, their, their branding and messaging is kind of, off-putting to a hardcore Bitcoiner because it's all like, you know, pro ESG and 91% or 100% uh, renewable or anti or non-carbon based uh, energy sources for their mining. And I looked at this, they're a publicly traded company and it looks like they did some reverse takeover or something a while back because the, the stock history is like goes back to 2000 or earlier. And, you know, they had quite the run up in, I think, you know, last November at the height of things, I think their stock was at like 45 bucks or something. And now it's like a buck 90 or something, which is, you know, 
quite the yeah. fall, but it's, I think it's, I think the market cap is still like 400 million or something. So they were, you know, they were valued at a couple billion dollars in, in November, which is fuck is crazy, but, um, you know, markets and frothiness and money printer. So. Yeah. Ultimately Bitcoin doesn't discriminate about where it gets its electrons from. That's a, that's a human problem. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Um, yeah. and so what do you, what then this next step that's now going to be rescheduled for Japan, um, what happens there? And like, if, if you do well, what happens? Like what, what trajectory is this process of presenting this idea and to being in this competitions? Like what is the end goal if everything goes well? Well, right now it's, it's a free trip to Japan and it also gives me an opportunity to, to uh, promote this idea. Uh, I have no idea what, results of that are going to be I, I from what i understand there's going to be eight other teams from various other global districts that will also be promoting ideas that they've they've had for all i know one or two of them might be barking up the same tree which would be very interesting to see the different ways that it gets framed because like mine mine was mostly framed around canada's smr program but like i that would be awesome if, there, if there's more people's like poking around this idea but I, I see it as a great opportunity for networking with people within the nuclear industry that, that would be able to benefit from it and so that I can do do a little bit of face-to-face -face talking with, with them and, and really really just just keep pushing the idea out there to anybody that's willing to listen and just sell sell them on the idea that, that there's a new market they, they can sell to. And it's and then like not only because then there's multiple ways that you they can go about doing it. It doesn't mm. have to be like they can they can either collaborate with an established Bitcoin miner, like they can call up Harry from Grid and be like, we we want you to to build a, a facility of, alongside our our reactor, or they can hire somebody like Harry and be that works for the company, and then they could own the Bitcoin mining assets for themselves, or they can do some sort of hybrid of that. They could. They can uh, like buy uh, portable mining units, like the ones that uh, the guys at Cathedra are building, or uh, that the guys at Upstream are building. Just take out the gas generator and put in more ASICs, and there you go. It's already ready to deploy with uh, with the SMRs. Like the, the, the technology is already is being being established now. It's going to be used when we get to the point where the SMRs are ready to use it. So, I'm. I'm hoping that when we do demonstrate these reactors, because part part of the plan is that they want to, alongside them, they want to demonstrate a bunch of other technologies that can take advantage of of the nuclear generation, like like the various uh, chemical productions, the desalination, the uh, the like district heating type of stuff. But I want I'm I'm trying pushing for like Bitcoin mining to be part of those demonstrations, so that we can already have an established kind of idea of how this can work. Like mm. well before we start widely deploying them commercially, because Canada, like not only does the Canada want to deploy them domestically, they want to take advantage of the international market for exporting these things. So that's why, like talking to people in places like El Salvador that are also interested in this technology, will will really start to get that ball rolling, and it'll show that there is large market demand for these products to, and then that just it, it boosts the confidence of. The investors and then it will it will greatly have great positive effects on the industry as a whole once we've once we've proven that this does what it claims to do but yeah until we get to that point it's just a lot of 
a lot of promotion, building relationships, forming collaborative collaborations, and and making sure that all all of the necessary stakeholders that are going to be involved in these projects have buy-in, especially with like remote communities. It's it's very very important, especially with the indigenous communities, that that they are seen as partners and not as something being imposed upon them. Right. So there's. Well, I mean, who knows how the uh, political and regulatory landscape will pan out? I despise such things and you know only peripherally pay attention but as far as canada is concerned i mean i gotta think that if someone like pierre polyev got in and trudeau was booted out that that would bode well for innovation and uh you know exploring and and allowing uh competition and innovation to take place in a budding industry like this and that would be good so you know hopefully hopefully that's correct and hopefully that you know that comes to pass do you think uh do you think that the end game here is you kind of alluded to it just now, but vertical integration um, within power generators and, you know, then the, they're mining on their own rigs and even, you know, I'm sure designs will come up that take advantage of synergies between the two activities and the heat that's generated and all that kind of stuff, because, you know, right now it's early days. And even with the uh, natural gas mining and hydro and stuff, typically the, the, the power generators, the power producers are so they don't know really much about Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining that, you know, they'd rather say, sure, you know, we'll, we'll give you a power purchase agreement and you just manage everything. But presumably, as this becomes more widely, people are educated about it and they understand it better. They're going to they're going to want to capture the arbitrage for themselves. Right. And so they would pro there's an incentive there for them to integrate that uh, mining into their own business. Do you kind of think the same is going to happen with nuclear? Absolutely. It's only a matter of time because then, then not only just that, like it has the properties of being able like to balance the grid in, right. in various ways to, to instead, instead of, um, um, yeah, I was, I was talking with my dad who's a uh, retired, uh, uh, hydro, uh, operator. And he was, he was telling me about various things like that. They, they have like transformers that are along the lines that if there is a spike in generation or, or a drop in demand, that they will absorb that shock to, to maintain the, the, the grid stability within that, that band of, of frequency that, that they need to maintain. And like, I see no reason why like Bitcoin mining can't be adapted into things like, like, like that. Like that's, mm. that's the stuff I, I've heard like uh, guys like Sean Connell talk about that quite a bit. And like, he's very familiar with those operations because that's, that's his, his, his former life as a, as a, uh, as a grid, operator type of guy so he's mm -hmm. so it, in like all the guys that i'm hearing talking in this space that are having these conversations they they are 100 percent confident that it is only a matter of time before there's just full vertical integration either it's going to be uh well-established bitcoin miners just full out buying their own power assets or just or power asset owners starting to buy bitcoin mining operations for themselves it's going to be a completely mixed bag, but what I know is it's going to be very exciting for people like us that uh, are very, very eager to see how this technology plays out going into the future. It's fix, fix the money, fix the world, and and then and like and then you can get into all kinds of other crazy stuff like, like uh, learning about how the the, the fediments is going to work, and and then combining that with the Lightning Network, like each company can have. Or, or even community can have their own, like their own little federated mint that they have on, 
they can manage basically their own little community bank and then they can develop like lightning channels between each other for for trading partnerships and then like along the nuclear supply chain like like if companies were to be a, were to have bitcoin as an asset on their balance sheets they can create they can completely eliminate the need to use credit cards and the traditional banking infrastructure and they can just create a channel between all their supply chain partners and just they can one person sends material and supplies one way and then you use out a lightning payment the other way and there we go or what was the other one i heard there was someone talking about how like if you have a substantial amount of bitcoin and then you can you can basically like lease lightning liquidity and mm. do do things like that like there's so many opportunities on the table that these these companies and industries can take advantage of once that ball starts rolling more people are educated on what is actually possible i i think we're going to start to see a lot more of that start popping up on the next bull run because as we know bear markets are for building and then it'll all be there and ready when the bull market comes back around and people will be like like holy shit there's all these new cool things that we can do that weren't there before and you know like blow away like all the fud about how how it's yeah how, how it doesn't scale well and uses lots of electricity and yeah we have, we generate a lot of electricity we need somebody to take it and if, if the bitcoin mining is going to be an energy pig then so be it we'll feed it and we will feed it a lot of electricity produced by <laughs> nuclear fission why not it, yeah it's it's just it's unceasingly mind-blowing to consider all the different impacts that this is going to have and you know the energy one is getting a lot of attention now just because it's so exciting that you can well you can find an energy asset anywhere in the world and you can turn it into electricity plug it plug in some miners you know beam it up to a satellite and what you get in return you know you convert that energy into a globally saleable money and store of value asset that you can procure the rest of the things you need with you know, and it's just, it's mind blowing the type of uh, possibilities that that represents, you know, whereas, whereas currently and certainly in the past, but still very much now, there's so much, so much friction in all those different things. And there's such a, you know, there's so many hoops you have to jump through and so many things are siloed in different ways. Like you might have an asset in one place, but there's no people or you need to get foreign currency in order to sell this. And like there's, there's middlemen all over the place. There's rent seekers. And just for all that to go poof. You got energy, convert it to money, convert the money in, into whatever service you need. Boom. You have a flourishing, you know, town, community, society, civilization. And, uh, you know, this is what we get, all, we all get excited about is, is watching that unfold and the, and the potential and the possibilities that it represents. Yeah. It's crazy. exciting. I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. Like, like just for, for myself, like, I have I have a few ASICs lying around the house, just a few S9s, and I recently blew the heating element on my dryer. So I'm just like, why why repair that in the conventional way when I can just take my S9, I can duct it right into the intake of my dryer, and now my dryer mines Bitcoin. It takes a little bit longer <laughs> to to do the job, but it works. Yeah. My wife was very happy that her dryer still works and she didn't have to keep putting stuff out on the line. It's, Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, so let's let's fast forward to like, I don't know, 50 years in the future. Do do these SMRs become consumer level? Like, 
now of course there's you know maybe you have a citadel and there's like 5000 people living there and there's a big reactor and that powers it all but even if you want maximum sovereignty and independence you know you got a little cube out in the backyard and it provides your power and your asics are integrated in and that generates heat and whatever else you need for your home and it's all just smooth easy it's like a tesla power wall on the side of your house but does a bajillion times more important things or you know more things yeah the when I understand Westinghouse is proposing a reactor design called the Evinci that's going to be like less than a megawatt, like 500 kilowatt type of deal. Like it's going to be the size of like a typical like backup diesel generator that you see hooked up to like a hospital or a restaurant or a school or something like, right. like that. That's going to have some pretty wild implications if that is able to hit the consumer level. We're going to see ranchers picking these things up all over the place. It's going to, it's going to free a lot of people from, from just dependence on centralized systems. If you have a massively abundant energy source that'll just last yeah. for decades. Massively abundant and versatile in terms of mobility. I mean, once you, you know, once you have that and you have, uh, you know, now we have connections to the internet, basically anywhere you are in the world. I mean, you could you build pretty much whatever you want, right? You've got cheap, abundant energy. You've got connectivity to the world. You've got a money that's accepted globally. You know, that can't be debased. All the stuff we know Bitcoin is. I mean, the possibilities are literally endless when you're in that type of world. And I don't know. Would you think we'll see it? Do you think we'll see it in our lives? I don't know. I yeah. I, I remember. I remember watching uh, Tomer's video where he was predicting he's, he's, right, he's, right, hopeful, he's hopeful around the fifties or sixties that we start seeing a lot of this change, but I, I'm very excited to watch the transition happen. Like I know that things are very tumultuous right now. And I, but I think if we can, if we can get through the twenties and into the thirties relatively unscathed, I think it's going to be a very different horizon in front of us that we are going to be able to take advantage of. Like there's going, this is going to unlock so many things that we, couldn't even conceive of right now like, yeah I'm sure like like even just the things happening on bitcoin right now just like 10 years ago would have been like completely inconceivable like nobody saw things that we can do now coming like like the fact that you can now send a payment in your currency of choice through the lightning rails and it pops out the other end in your receiver's currency of choice like that like that that blows people's minds when i explain it that, that is something that, <laughs> that can be done and they're like they're like you mean we don't have to pay that Three percent, five percent credit card fee anymore. It's like no, you're done. No we'll wait four backs. days. Final seven. days. Yeah, like I just uh, like just this morning, I needed my wife to send to from from her moon wallet to my moon wallet so that I had enough money to send to Sama to sign up for the uh, the men's group that he hosts. And I think you you yeah you did a podcast with Sama. The, yeah, Nara. yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I signed I signed up for his men's group. So it was so she sent me the lightning payment and then I sent it so through just i sent her the address through text and then he's and he sent me his bitcoin address and then i sent it to him i have no idea where in the world this guy is but boom it was it was there it was with him within seconds and and done like that that's freaking amazing yeah it's incredible and that's that's really the thing you know like all these people that are bitcoin haters or fudsters or whatever the real thing is to get them to use Bitcoin. Be like, look, intellectual understanding is one thing and monetary and economic philosophies and you know whatever your opinion there is, that's one thing. 
Why don't you use it? Why don't you see the power of custodying your own money through 12 words? Why don't you see the power of actually sending a transaction to someone halfway across the world, you know, in one second for one penny or less, you know, like then you'll get, I mean, it's hard not to be amazed by it. It's hard not to think like it's a kind of a type of magic. And I think most, a lot of the FUD comes from people that have never actually interacted with it in any meaningful way. You know, they, they've never done what you just described. And of course, you know, to them, as a result, it seems relatively meaningless. Like I've started just anybody that I can, like local farmers that I've been buying honey from, eggs from, I'm, I'm, I'm telling them that like, I'll buy your stuff, but you're, you're going to accept Bitcoin for it. And like at first they're, they're hesitant. And then, and then you do it and they're just like, holy shit, that was, that was so easy. And now, now they're just, yeah. they're on board. Yeah, trying, to, trying to go I, like I, farmer's markets, yard sales, like, yeah, just pitch to everybody. Just propose the idea. If, if they're really resistant to it, I'll just be like, yeah, whatever, here's some cash, but at least plant the seed. One, 100%, 100%. And it's love to see, it's, it's great to see uh, those like amazed reactions on people's faces. Actually, I, 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 Gigi made like a card that he prints out and base and the card says, this could have been, and then he leaves, a, I think a blank space to put in how much Bitcoin, but you're forcing me to pay in shit coins. And he gives it to them like with his payment in cash or whatever the person is, is asking for. It's so great, you know, cause presumably they'll look back on that card at some point in the future and be like, oh fuck, I'm stupid. Um, have yeah, we, I like the have, Bitcoin is shit website. Yeah, is that the that? one yeah. like th uh, the cost of different First, things had you bought them yeah. in different years or something yeah. yeah if you'd have bought bitcoin instead of this then it would be worth yeah. this much now. <laughs> yeah that's that's always a fun one to yeah um but, have we not have we not covered anything regarding the work uh that you're doing or this topic generally that we should explore before we shut it down uh i think we've covered a lot but there, there is one fun one that i do like to talk about but this is like way out there game theory but um if we generate enough incentive that, that like people, that there is a strong drive for nuclear power, like from what I believe that not only will that prevent nuclear fuel from being diverted to weapons production, but it could also start driving an incentive towards depolarization and reprocessing those weapons into fuel for more hash rate. Like if, if, um, so uh, Jason Lowry's thesis plays out that like we that this is going to get so competitive that nation states will be competing in hash wars. Like, it's not inconceivable that they will go balls to the wall, like throwing everything that they've got at this. And if that involves tearing down those nuclear weapons to get more nuclear power generation to get more hash rate, that would that would definitely be something worth uh, worth pursuing. And it's just it's, yeah, it's all I, game theory, I, but it's. Who knows? I agree. I mean, the, that's a question I discuss with a bunch of people. Like the Bitcoin renaissance is great and I see it happening and I see how so much of it is going to take place. But what about the big red button and the nuclear arsenals in the world and just crazy motherfuckers that in times of great change or if they're losing their power might, you know, freak out and do something with it. And, the, you know, there's never a good answer to it because nobody really has a good answer to it. But I don't know if you planted that seed in my mind or someone else did recently, but it's not a bad one. I mean, there's not many great options regarding it. And if we're thinking like, it, here's a question, would, is that a uh, method, is that like economical more so than just going through the normal process of, of getting the, you know, the, the uranium for a reactor? 
or is well, it just kind I, of a desperation play? The 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 process and technology to do it already exists, and I'm I'm pretty sure in some instances it, it has been done because the I, I do believe a lot of the nuclear arsenals had had been scaled down at some point in the last decade. That was some some of the the stuff that like I think. I think even like Trump was working on that with Russia to start scaling everyone's nuclear arsenals down. There's definitely some players out there that are unpredictable wild cards, but mm. if like if we can put the right incentives in front of them, like who the hell knows what the future holds? Like it, but I, that's, I would that, love to see. That's that's like a, a well-established process of decommissioning nuclear weapons into nuclear fuel for reactors. Yeah, yeah, that's that that has been done. It's not super common, but the right. technology to do that exists and and could easily be scaled up if the desire and the political will was there. Yeah, well, the incentive to acquire Bitcoin is presumably going to be extremely strong. So I guess it comes down to, do you want a nuke or do you want a bunch of Bitcoin? And it would be great if if people answered the latter in the affirmative, you know, or preferred the latter. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before we start getting Bitcoiners into political positions. Like, who knows, Pierre might be the first one that we can get and then just start the ball rolling from there. And then if, if he puts things in action then and they work, like he's definitely taken a lot of heat recently because like, oh no, the price went down and like Bukele is taking heat because the price went down. Mm -hmm. But but then like, yeah, you look at the other numbers and it's like, but tourism is up and remittances are up. So, so what the, the central government's treasury has gone down, but yeah, as a whole country, their wealth has gone up, which I see that as way more beneficial. Like it was, he made a sacrifice of his own wealth or that he manages for the country to, to benefit the entire country, which is freaking awesome. Yeah. Well, the other thing that, that nobody, there's many things that normies and normie news media and stuff don't consider but one is just the unit of account. And in Bitcoin, we say one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. And people think it's kind of a, a LARP and it's a way to rationalize, you know, to stay calm amidst volatility and stuff like that. But what they're doing is saying one Canadian dollar equals one Canadian dollar. And therefore, everything versus it is volatile, but it is not. But if 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 you change your unit of account, then you would have to account for the fact that, you know, in terms of monetary inflation, the Canadian dollar has lost has inflated like 40% over the last two years or whatever the precise number is. Right. And so instead yeah. of being that, that thing of stability against which exterior volatility is measured, you're actually recognizing the volatility inherent in that. And so, okay, Bitcoin's down what, like 60, 70% from its highs and the Canadian dollar is down 40, 50%. Well, the, the, the relative difference then becomes a lot less extreme. And the only Thing that you've done is you've, you, you've made a decision like which one is going to be uh, the thing against which I judge everything else, which one is going to be my unit of account. And of course, all of us are like, well, obviously it's Bitcoin for a multitude of reasons. Um, but that that argument requires nuance. And again, the the mainstream media and politics is uh, not <laughs> known for their nuance. <laughs> well, I like I like Tomer's analogy that that the lighthouse looks unstable when you're on a ship rocking in the sea. Mm, great, great analogy. But, yeah. But then like for us here in Western countries where we have been privileged to have relatively stable currencies, we don't really take in the perspective of the global South and, and it has dealt with all kinds of crappy e economics and all the African countries that are still saddled with that stupid French currency that 
just like won't leave them alone. And, yeah. Or, and the South Americans that are have are scrambling for U.S. dollars. They, yeah, it's it's they, they they get this. They they get that they need something that has stability at the core protocol because we we can't keep relying on currencies that that can just wildly change based on the whims of politicians and bankers and these wise men that we i don't know put so much value in it's Mm -hmm. i don't know so much much false misplaced faith in you you might say but you know as nature is healing right the the water always finds its level and so the global south has been so disenfranchised by for so many different reasons and for so long but as a result of that situation they're in there's a necessity and as a result of that necessity when a solution emerges they're the first to adopt it now I know there's been a lot of Bitcoin adoption in Western Europe and North America, so it's not a perfect thing, but maybe broader scale, non-early adopter populations, like there's a, a far greater incentive for them to learn about it and to adopt it. And presumably over the course of decades, that that action taken when it's taken, you know, versus when it's taken by the majority elsewhere will help to balance the scales over time and, and uh, rectify some of the uh, some of the things that have been done to them uh, unfairly over the course of the last hundred years or so. Oh yeah, it's going to level the playing field for sure. And then just on like things like the education front, it, that opens up so many opportunities for people that have been disenfranchised to to get proper educations. And then if we can if we can do things like like drive down if we drive down energy costs, that also drives down food costs and 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 water sanitation costs. So then that that helps all of these people get off to a better head start. Uh, I was listening to a recent podcast, uh, Jordan Peterson had on Bjorn Lombard and they were talking about his stuff and how he rank ordered all of these, all of these plans that the UN has, but that it's just everybody's got something that they prioritize, but he put together all the economists to get a good rank order of them. And to the top of the list was just reduce poverty because if you want to help the environment and reduce like greenhouse gases emissions, poor people don't give a shit about the environment when they're just thinking about finding food for the next day. If mm-hmm. they were wealthy, they would start to care more about their environment because then that would that would gradually increase their time horizon and they would start thinking more broadly into the future. Yeah. Like it's the problem is is and while I, I agree with that assertion, so many in that class or group of people think one of the ways to alleviate poverty is just to, you know, realloc- forcefully reallocate capital or to do so from a, in a top-down perspective. And what that ends up doing is in most, well, almost tautologically destroys capital and almost exacerbates or perpetuates the situation. So all of those people, you know, this is my kind of ex- I'm a Bitcoiner, obviously, but if they're not talking about Bitcoin, right, if they're not integrating Bitcoin and the various solutions that it represents to ameliorate that issue or or to bring about what they're discussing, it's like I, I almost don't have that much time for it because it seems the conversation seems so lacking of the most important thing, you know, and so which is why, you know, in, in Bitcoin, we're are kind of our own clique, right, because we kind of we wink at each other and we know that that's the thing that's missing from all these conversations and, you know, Bitcoin fixes this. Um, so while I appreciate people like Lumberg and Peterson and stuff talking about these issues and at, at least bringing attention to it and certainly uh, 
painting a different picture than like the insanity of the, of the mainstream perspective on a lot of this stuff. They got to be, they, you know, Bitcoin has to be integrated more for it to be a serious discussion. Well, that's where we come in. We, we <laughs> consume all of these different ideas from all of these great thinkers and, and integrate them in such a way that we can start moving that ball forward. You know, exactly. Everybody, everybody takes their own mission. Like I love seeing just how much diversity there is in the Bitcoin space of everyone just, just kind of working on different projects that, that touch different parts of everybody. Like, mm-hmm. like seeing the, the different education programs they've got going on in El Salvador with the Mi Primera Bitcoin and, and how that's now basically been integrated as a, as a compulsory class in school and to graduate high school. Like I did not see that coming, but it's like, why not like get, get that next generation. Like even like all of the tyrants of, of the world, new like capture the kids and, and get that next generation and then that's how you can really start imposing your will upon the culture so mm-hmm. we can we can do it for the benefit of the culture instead of in for the negative to to appease some some authoritarians brand plans of centralized control 100 yeah, percent. too many of them there's too 100%. many of them around these days yeah bullish on bitcoiners bullish on bitcoiners so, as always absolutely um, Ryan, this has been great, man. I appreciate you sharing all your knowledge and experience about this stuff with me. Um, we'll definitely have to do another one in the future. I know this is like this, it sounds like this is a slow ongoing process. So, you know, you can let me know when there's sufficient, uh, updates and materials to do it again. But, um, any final words before we shut it down? Oh, the future, future looks bright. Like I, there's a lot more, a lot more hope in the world these days. Bitcoin being that that shining light in the darkness is things are looking messy in a lot of places, but I think we can I think we can get through it. I'm very confident that uh, this is going to be a big piece of the puzzle. Amen, brother. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well, thanks again, man, yeah. and uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again in the future. For sure. Yeah, you'll see me around on Twitter and Spaces and various other venues. Awesome. Yeah, All right. Great, Take care, great brother. Great talking to you. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.